Well, this morning, as Shelby mentioned earlier, we continue our four-letter word series with a word that most of us, if not all of us in the room, we don't like to experience, and we certainly don't want to be called, and it's that four-letter word, fail. Woody Hayes, the legendary football coach from the Ohio State University, once said, show me, see if you can finish this, show me a good loser, and I'll show you a Loser. That's exactly what he said, which was one of the sayings around our house. We also uh, would say things like, there's first place and there's no place. Anybody else have that told to them when they were growing up? Impressionable age. How about this? Second place is just the beginning of last place. Yeah. Losing is failing. Listen, none of us want to be failures or want to fail because failing makes you a Loser, a failure, all of those are exactly what I would expect, but I would tell you today that that is not the right answer, and that's part of what we're going to be looking at uh, this morning. So if this is your first time with us, thanks for being here. My name is Mike, uh, joining us here in the room, joining us there online. We appreciate you joining us there as well. Uh, our notes for this morning are on the Version Bible app, and we've got some folks out in the lobby. If you uh, don't know how to download that app or have questions about where to find those notes, they can help you with that. Uh, hey, I don't know about you, uh, but I remember, how, how many of you all have ever received an F in your life? An F, an F. Just, yeah, it's just, wow, okay, yeah, yeah. I still remember the first F I ever received. I think it's the only F I ever received. It was in second grade, Mrs. Hayes' class. She handed me back a paper that I had, I don't know, homework or something, or test, and it had this huge... F, huge F. It's almost like she was proud of it. Uh, on the page, at the top of the page. I'd never seen one before. I had no idea what it was. When I got home, I found out uh, what it was, right? And I don't like to fail at anything, especially something that I've worked hard at. So, so when I asked, do you ever feel like something you've wanted your whole life or something you've really been working hard at, that you're failing at that thing? Or for some, it's the career that you've worked so hard to get, and it's just not happening. For others, it's providing for your family the way you thought you would be able to provide for your family, and that's not happening. For some, it's your marriage, and it began with such hope, and it feels like it's headed for divorce. Or maybe, maybe it's already landed there. Maybe you always dreamed you'd have this great relationship with your children, or you thought you'd have a great relationship with your parents. It really just kind of feels like you're all individuals living in, in a house. You're not where you want to be with your faith. Maybe that's it. Listen, failure is one thing you don't want to be labeled. And as a result, a lot of us, we actually fear failure. We're afraid of what others will think. The fear of failure actually is a universal uh, fear, and it causes many people this enormous amount of stress. Uh, and anxiety in their lives. It can, listen, the fear of failure can cause you to be indecisive. You're afraid of making the wrong choice, so you don't make a choice, right? Or the fear of failure sometimes can cause you to be a workaholic. You work, you overwork because you want to get ahead, and once you get there, you want to stay ahead. It can cause you to be a perfectionist because whatever you do, it's never going to be good enough, and you're never satisfied because you're afraid of what other people, what they would think about how you did. Well, today we're going to take a look at what God says to us about failure. Actually, we're going to look at what God shows us about failure. And it's in the life of one of his followers. And hopefully when we're done, we will have reduced the stress levels of everyone in the room. 
uh, and everyone online with us, right? And what we, uh, what we need to know about failure and what to do when, not if, when we fail. So Matthew 14 is where we are. Again, those will be in the, uh, the verses or with our notes in the Bible app. So check this out. Matthew 14, beginning in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter said, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and he came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, save me, Lord. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Now, Jesus had just finished uh, teaching a large crowd of people, and he sent his disciples on ahead of him out onto the sea. He was going to join them later. And when evening came, the boat, we're told, was a considerable distance from shore. When Mark tells this story in his gospel, uh, he says they were about halfway across the sea. Verse 24 tells us this is not a good night to be on a boat because in the original language, uh, it says that it was a contrary wind. It says that the waves were harassing the boat, almost as if they'd been sent to harass the boat. And during the fourth watch of the night, somewhere between three and six in the morning, after fighting this storm for a large part of the night, and evidently, obviously, they were exhausted and cold and wet, and they see something on the lake moving toward them. But it wasn't in a boat, (laughs) It was on top of the water. And in that day, they believed that evil spirits lived in the water. So they assumed that this thing that they're seeing is either a ghost or an evil spirit who is coming to attack them. And everyone in the boat is scared out of their minds. The contemporary English version says this. At once, Jesus said to them, don't worry. I'm Jesus. (laughs) I can't imagine. Hey, uh, don't be afraid. And the boat goes quiet. Now, the wind is still blowing, the waves are still harassing, but there's no movement in the boat, and all of a sudden, there's a lone voice that calls out, Jesus, if it's you, call me out. And Jesus said, Peter, come on out, the water's fine, right? And Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus, but, and that's our first lesson about failure, right? I want to make sure you get it, failure is a fact of life. Someone said, and this is really important, so I put it in the notes to make sure you took it home, even perfect people buy pencils with erasers on them. Listen, that's important because failure is a fact of life. The Bible records many failures because it records life as it really is, not just the way we hope it will be. And when we think of this story, we call it Peter walking on the water, but that's not what we remember about this story. We don't remember Peter walking on the water. What we remember is Peter sinking, that he failed. 
And this isn't the first time in his life that he would fail, that we would even read about him failing. And it's certainly not the last. As a matter of fact, Peter fails so many times. It seems that if you took all the times the Bible talks about Peter failing, it's almost more than all of the 11 combined. Uh, and James 3, 2 reminds us we all stumble in many ways. So if you've made mistakes, if you've blown it, it just means you're alive. We are all living proof that what James said is true. Failure is a part of life. And the Bible tells us we all. So if you're part of we, by the way, we all, if you're one of we all, can I see your hands? I just want to make sure we all know who we all are. Some of you don't know who we all are, all right? We all stumble in many ways. You are going to fail. There are three facts of life in the notes. You have failed many, many times in your life. You're failing right now at some area in your life, and you're going to fail many, many times throughout the rest of your life, which is why Ecclesiastes says there's no one on earth who does what is right all the time and never makes a mistake. You would save yourself a lot of stress, a lot of heartache, over failure, if everyone would just remember that everyone fails. You can act perfect, you can look perfect, you can walk around projecting perfection, but I just want you to know, the rest of us in the room... We know, because we know what's true of ourselves as well. So let me ask one more, or let me add one more thought here. The more you risk succeeding, the more you will risk failing as well. I mean, look at what Peter's doing in this story. I mean, we, most of us probably heard the story at some point growing up or somewhere in our life. He's climbing out of a boat in a storm to walk on the water toward Jesus. And the only reason we remember Peter failing in this story and nobody else failing is because nobody else got out of the boat. They were all playing it safe. I'm going to tell you a secret about our leadership here at MCC. We know that we're not always going to succeed at what we do. We're going to pray about it. We're going to think it through. We're going to ask advice from others maybe who have done what we're getting ready to try to do. We're going to pray some more, and then we're going to execute our plan as best as we know how. But we know even when we do that that we are going to fail because failure is a fact of life. And the greater the risk you're going to take, the greater the chance of failure. Uh, so, and this is important too, I want to make sure you get it. Uh, failure is not final. It's not going to kill you. At least it hasn't yet. Okay? Uh, the fact is, the fear of failure is worse than failure. Fearing it is worse than actually experiencing it. Proverbs 24 says, For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. History books are filled with stories of men and women who went on to accomplish great things in their life. And we read about their failures, but they eventually made good. I don't know if you've ever read anything about the beginnings of our country. George Washington lost two-thirds of the battles he ever led. Uh, his men into two-thirds of the battle, and yet he and we end up winning, and he becomes our first president. Mickey Mantle took his team to the World Series seven times, hit over 500 home runs. He struck out two-thirds of the time he was at the plate. Winston Churchill, man, we know him from history, leader who got us, he failed sixth grade. Paul understood this. That's why he would write to the church in Corinth, we're hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. The Phillips translation says it like this. Like a boxer, I'm knocked down, but I'm not knocked out. Everybody fails, but that does not make you a failure. 
successful people are just ordinary people who have this extraordinary amount of determination. They know that failure is not failing to reach your dream. Failure is not having a dream to begin with. It's not setting a goal and missing it. Failure is just not having a goal. Failure is not falling down. Failure is staying down. As a matter of fact, Oliver Goldsmith said, our greatest glory is not in never falling down, but it's in rising each time. Our greatest glory is in rising each time we fall. So failure is a fact of life. We're all going to fail. It's not final. Probably not going to kill us, depending on what you're trying. How do we respond to failure in life? I like this. Failure does not determine your destiny. How you respond to failure does. So what do we do? What do we do? Here's how we respond. First, take responsibility for my failure. It's what Jesus asks Peter in verse 31. Why did you doubt? It wasn't about the others in the boat who didn't even try. He's asking Peter that. If you've made a mistake, admit it. Don't blame other people for your bad decision. Proverbs 28 says this, anyone who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful, but if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. And I want to add this thought here too. Sometimes our failure involves sin. Not all the time. Not all of our failures involve sin. But when it does, we need to remember that sin is what separates us from God. And the only thing that closes that gap is when we ask forgiveness. That's why Paul, again, writing to the church in Corinth, would say godly sorrow brings about repentance. John, all the way at the end of the New Testament, writing to the church, would say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If in your failure you have sinned against God, if that's actually been your failure, recognize it, admit it, ask God for forgiveness. Here's the next, next way to respond. I need to make sure that my failure works for me, which may sound a little bit odd because we all want to run away from it, but failure can actually work in our favor if we do this right. So I've given you four ways that are on the notes. The first one is our failure can educate us. You ever wonder, I don't know how you picture this event. I wonder what Peter learned that night. I mean, he gets out of the boat. It appears he takes at least a few steps. That would be an interesting lesson. And then all of a sudden he's back in the boat. I mean, what did he learn about Jesus firsthand that the others didn't because they didn't experience it. They watched it, but they weren't part of it. What did he learn about Jesus because he experienced that? I don't know if you've ever heard of the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. It was also known as Galloping Gertie. And the first uh, Tacoma Narrows Bridge, it was built in 1940, and the, the idea was to connect the city of Tacoma and the surrounding Puget Sound with the peninsula area, uh, not only encouraging growth, but it also created this great shortcut to the Olympic Mountains. Uh, certain design flaws were going to be its undoing, uh, it collapsed just four months and seven days after its dedication. But in those four months, it became this tourist attraction. People came from all around the area to pay this toll to ride this roller coaster of a bridge that they called Galloping Gertie. And at times, the rolling was so severe, you couldn't see the car in front of you. Uh, from the days of its opening, the bridge began to experience these oscillations and Traffic actually increased on the bridge because of its behavior. But starting at 7 o'clock on the morning of November 7, 1940, it began rolling persistently for three hours. And segments of the span went up as high as three feet. 
And at about 10 o'clock in the morning, something seemed to snap, and the bridge just began rolling wildly. So this footage is going to be grainy. It's from 1940, but check this out. At one moment, uh, one edge of the roadway was 28 feet higher than the other. You can see it being uh, dedicated and just how exciting that was. But as it's going, uh, it, is go it goes crazy. One moment, one side's 28 feet higher, the next moment is 28 feet lower. It's just going like this. And at 10.30, the bridge began cracking. And finally, at 11.30, the entire bridge came crashing down. Fortunately, there was only one car on the bridge at the time of its failure. It belonged to a newspaper reporter who had abandoned his car when the bridge began its violent twisting motion. And he got to safety by crawling uh, on his hands and knees, clutching the curb of the bridge to be able to get off. Total failure, right? Total failure. And yet, as a result of this disaster, engineers from all over the world studied this failure and learned that through the use of wind tunnels and testing how to build a safe and strong suspension bridge. I tell you that because there are some things you're going to learn in life only by failing. You won't learn it any other way. Some of our best lessons are learned through failure. To fail isn't special. Anyone can do that. Everyone does do that. We all fail. But smart people learn the lessons of failure. Here's the second lesson. Failure develops my skills. My guess is the first time we all tried to walk, all of us fell. That's my, or the first time you tried to learn to ride a bike or rollerblade. I still can't rollerblade, right? What, what, what you do for a living, how to be a good husband or wife, we're all still learning that, yeah? Isn't it part of the learning curve that we learn from our mistakes? Failure is just a stepping stone to success if, if, if you're willing to learn from your mistakes. And listen, if you're not making mistakes, you're not trying anything new. If you're not making mistakes, that just means you aren't trying everything because you don't succeed every time when you try something new. All right, uh, lesson, uh, the last way to make failure work, oh, I'm sorry, lesson number three, it makes me less judgmental when others fail. People who fail tend to be more sympathetic. When you fail, it, retains your, it restrains your arrogance. It promotes humility because you remember what it was like to fail, especially if you failed in front of people. All right, here's the last one to make it work for you. Failure causes me to reevaluate what's important in life. Sometimes God uses our failures to help us reflect on the direction of our lives. And we may realize through a failure that we're pointed in the wrong direction. Proverbs 20 says, sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. And if it weren't for that painful situation, potentially we would continue on our merry way, not knowing we're headed in the wrong direction. And so learn from your failure. But here's one last way to respond when we fail. When I fail, I need to relax in God's grace. It's verse 31. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. So as you look at this picture... Peter climbs out of the boat. He's walking toward Jesus. He starts to sink. When you look at Jesus' face, is that a surprised look you're seeing on his face? Oh, man, I never thought Peter would fail at this. Is that what you're thinking? Was, was Jesus surprised when, when Peter sank? Let me ask you this. Do you, surprise God is, do you suppose God is surprised when you fail? Do you think that shocks him? Does that throw him off? 
Did he never see that one coming? Psalm 103 says, God knows what we're made of. He remembers that we are dust. It's what's called grace. He doesn't expect you to be perfect. He knows what you're made of. He doesn't stop loving you when you blow it, and he doesn't stop loving you when you fail. That's a hard concept for some of us because the homes we grew up in were performance-driven homes. And we were taught that if we succeeded, that meant that we were valuable and worthwhile and significant. And if we failed, it meant that we were worthless and invaluable and not significant. We were taught that our worth was based on our performance, that what we are was based on what we do. And that's not true. That is a lie. God has never said anything even remotely close to that. Somebody else whispers that in your ear. But can I tell you, it's not your father who loves you. God's love for you isn't dependent on what you do. It's dependent on who he is. Let me say that one more time. God's love for you is not dependent on what you do. It's dependent on who he is. And that's why each week we come to this time of communion it isn't remem merely remembering that Jesus died on a cross. We actually stop each week to be reminded of why he died on that cross. And we remember Jesus didn't die on a cross because he failed. He died on a cross because you and I do. And my guess is you don't have a week go by that you don't struggle with sin at some point in your life. And you know what? Sometimes we win those battles with sin. Sometimes we come through on the other side. And we have succeeded because we've done what Jesus wanted us to do. But I'm going to guess for you, it's not every time. And I guess that because I know that's what it is for me. That I struggle with sin every week as well. Sometimes I win. But not every time. Sometimes I fail as well. Which is why Paul reminds us in his letter to the Romans. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we... Could, I, I'm, could you just remind me one more time who we are? Is? If you're a we in that room, would you, I just, or in the room, would you just... While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because failure doesn't define us. Even our sin failures don't define us. God's love for you is what defines you as his daughter, as his son. That's why it's important that we stop and remember. So we're going to pray and then we'll remember together. God, thank you for moments like this. Because there are a lot of moments that happen between last Sunday and this Sunday and many that will happen between today and next week when we gather like this again. One of the beauties of gathering like this is we get to remember this together. And as we go through this next week, unbeknownst to us even now, we will face opportunities and we will fail. And some we just need to dust ourselves off and get back up and do a go again. But others will be failures that include sin. 
And that's really what this moment is about. This moment isn't just about not succeeding. This moment is about failing to do what you've called us to do or to be who you've called us to be. Sometimes it's a failure in our thought process and we know that our thoughts don't line up with yours. Sometimes it's a, it's a word, uh, word issue and we know that we've said something to someone, we've treated someone in a way that it's not how you would have done it and it's not the way you want us to do it. Sometimes it has to do with places that we go that we know we shouldn't or places that we should go that we don't. God, we, we don't even want to think about it. It's embarrassing. And what's most embarrassing is that we've let down our Father. And our fear is because of the way we've experienced life, we think you stopped loving us or maybe don't love us as much as you one time did. So thank you for this moment that reminds us you loved us enough, you love us enough that you would send your son to die on our behalf to cover those sin failures that we have had and that we will have. It covers all of that. So as we remember today, we just want to say thank you. And I pray that we would hold on to who you say we are regardless of what anyone around us says, that we would remember we belong to you. And Jesus, we pray this in your name.